Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Podcast. Watch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11.05 a.m. at GoSBLive.com or visit us in person. You can find directions at GoStonebridge.com. Connect with us on our social media at Facebook.com slash GoStonebridge and our Instagram at SBChurch. You know, Christmas really is fun. I don't know about you, but I, it, it just excites me listening to the music and um, the lights and in our case, smoke instead of snow because we don't get the other kind very often. And it just something about it just kind of, you know, bubbles up inside of us. It's just this idea that there's something better, that there, there are things to be excited about with the future. One of the things that uh, is unusual about the Christmas story, though, to me, is we, we also like gift giving, right? How many people like gift giving? Anyone, hands back down, anyone have already started opening gifts? To be honest, okay, just want to make sure. How many of you started opening gifts and then you had to wrap them back up and put it on there because otherwise someone would find out that you, okay, yeah. <clears throat> That's certainly the way I was when I was a kid. Wanted to, wanted to know what was, what was under the tree and, and all. You know, the, the gift giving thing is something that if you look at the Christmas story, it's, um, there, there isn't but one place in the Christmas story where gifts are given, right? And that was uh, Matthew recorded when, when wise men, magi came from the east and they, they traveled uh, down looking for, they said the king uh, or the child who's born to be the king of the Jews. And they followed a star, you know, out of the east and that star lit up and, and they came and they, they searched and they knew Jerusalem would be the place to go. And then when they, when they go down to Bethlehem where Jesus is born, uh, they bring him their gifts, gold and, and frankincense and myrrh. But gift giving is a, is a big part for us, big part of who we are. I think it says something about the fact that we, we, we know, we care, we love people. I had this discussion with my granddaughter uh, a few days ago because, you know, she felt like, and you've probably felt like this also, that there are times when no one understands me. Anybody feel that way? Right, an eight-year-old feels that way, and an 80-year-old feels that way at times. No one understands. No one knows what I'm feeling. No one knows what I'm going through. And then if you find somebody that knows, and you know, and they, they kind of get it, here's, here's the, the next part of that. Yeah, but no one knows, but no one cares, right? Because you can know and, and not, not care. But Christmas says something about God caring. Then there's a third step of that. You could know, you could care, but can anyone do anything about it? Can anyone change things and make a difference? And that, that's where Christmas really jumps into the picture. Because at Christmas, God sends us his son, who is really the treasure that we need, the, the, the step that we need to make changes. He not only says that God knows, he understands us. He knows our struggles. Because Jesus came born to a very poor cu uh, couple, very poor part of the country is where his, his, his family came from. They come down, you know, south of Jerusalem, down to Bethlehem, and he's born in a stable. I mean, in a feeding trough in a stable. You don't get much lowlier than the way Jesus was born in the world. But Jesus was actually the treasure that God was giving that we needed to make a change, to make a difference. He wanted to make sure that we knew that he cared, that he understood us, and that he could do something about our situation. So I decided to look at this, this year, just some of the things, if you look at the Christmas story, 
that help us understand this, this treasure that God has given us, the treasure of heaven. And so if you would, um, read with me. It'll pop up on the screen, I think. You also might have picked up an outline. This is in uh, Luke chapter number two, Luke's version of this Christmas story. He tells some details that Matthew does not have in there, and this is what he says. At the time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth, which was in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancee, who was obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her, to be, for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, and she laid him in a manger because there was no lodging or no room available to them uh, there in the town. That night, verse 8, it says, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. So, um, Luke jumps in with the story, and if, if you're like me, I like maps. Anybody like maps? I mean, I'm kind of a visual learner. So on the back of your outline is a map, sort of the area. So if you, if you like that and you can look and you can see what he's talking about. So Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. That's up in the northern province of Galilee. And they have to travel all the way down to Bethlehem which is about five or six miles south of Jerusalem. And you can see on the map, this is a pretty creative map uh, that I put in there. It's a lot of drawings of the hill country and the small mountains and things in the area. So you could see it was a difficult journey for them to make. I mean, probably took them a week or two to travel this way, especially with Mary being in the condition that she was, being near the time of giving birth to her firstborn child. They go down all the way down to Bethlehem, because Caesar Augustus had decided that he wanted to take a census of the empire, the Roman empire, so that he could do what? Everybody figures this out, right? The, the things you can't escape, what? Taxes, exactly, that's exactly what he's doing. Because Caesar Augustus is trying to think of what kind of treasure can I get out of all the empire, all the lands that we control and that we own because the more the treasure, the bigger the armies, the more power he can assume. It, it's kind of what fuels it, isn't it? Sure it is because you have to have the resources in order to do things or in order to make changes. And Augustus Caesar certainly had changes that he had planned to make uh, with the territories that he controlled. So this is their situation. They have no control over it. They go where they have to go. They go down all the way to Bethlehem. But we're pretty sure that, that um, Joseph and Mary understood that since Jesus was born not from Joseph, but since he was born from the Holy Spirit, and he would be the Messiah, the rescuer, the one that was promised, that he would be born in Bethlehem. So they understood and they accepted that this was just part of the path that they would have to go to and they ended up in this territory. And it says, not far from there, probably if you look on the map, probably between Jerusalem and Bethlehem in that area, there were some shepherds there in the field. We'll talk about those in just a second. But a couple things I want to point out real uh, first about this, this treasure that God sends to us. First of all, this gift from God or this treasure comes from God himself. It's not a treasure that, that men can collect 
or that they can pick up on their own or that they can create. This treasure comes from heaven. God sends us his son. And even in the details of the story, you see God orchestrating the story the way he had foretold this story would be played out through the uh, prophets. The second thing is, uh, this gift is for everyone. I think that's really important. You're going to see in the passages that the angels will proclaim and uh, those who come after them will proclaim that this is not just for Israel. This is for everyone. This is for the whole world. This is part of the promise that God gave to Abraham, that he would make him a mighty nation. Um, he would have uh, children and, 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 and na uh, Abraham's name would be known. And he says, and your family will bless all the families of the earth. It was part of God's plan, not just for Israel. It was a plan also for everyone else in the earth. Later in that same chapter, um, we're not going to read this part, but Luke talks about uh, them going to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus would have been eight days old. And this is the time of dedicating their firstborn son. And when they go to the temple, there's a man named Simeon there. Now, Simeon's probably of the prophetic group of uh, men that lived in the area. And it says that he was led there to, the, to Jerusalem and to the temple that day by the Holy Spirit. And he comes and he's always expectant because he says, I have been promised that I will see the Savior, the Messiah, before my death. And this is what it says later in that chapter. This is in verse 28. It says, Simeon took him, this is the baby Jesus, in his arms and he praised God saying, listen to his little hymn, his little song. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, I, I, can, I can die. I can go now. He says, for my eyes have seen your, say this word with me, your what? Your salvation. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen the gift. I've seen the treasure that came out of heaven to change all of our circumstances, all of our hopes, all of our dreams. He says, which you have prepared in the sight of, I like this, all nations. In other words, it was, uh, Jesus came in a way that anyone could see, just as we, as we said, uh, magi came from the far east looking for him. He says, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Two things in there. Uh, this gift is the glory of Israel. In other words, everything that Israel had gone through, everything that Israel had suffered for, all the struggles of, of the nation of Israel as a people, all the difficulties that they've gone through were all for a purpose, for a reason. And, and this child was the purpose, was the reason. God's glory was being displayed in a simple child that would come into the world. But also, this is a revelation for the Gentiles. In other words, this is how they would know the truth of who God is and what God has done. Because it had to come in a way that they would understand he sent his gift, his treasure, in the form of a, uh, of a baby, of a little child. Now, I did this. I don't know if you ever do things like this. I went back and looked through the passage again. And I started making notes of and marking all of the things that were there, that were noted. You know, there's a manger. Um, you know, there's, a, there's an emperor. There's a, there's a nation called Rome. Uh, there are shepherds in the story. There's a poor couple named Mary and Joseph. They come needing lodging in Bethlehem. No lodging for them there. I started looking at all those things. 
And it, it just kind of struck me at how we would think, well, you got to get all these things ready and done in order to make something happen. And what we would think of or how we would plan it or try to work it is very different than the way God worked it, isn't it? It really is. It's not the same the way God worked it at all. In fact, one of the things that, that uh, if you're a king or you, ha you have a child born, you're a royalty, you know what you're going to do? You're going to protect that child. You're going to have armies. You have walls. You, know, you may pay people off with jewels and gold in order to make sure that your child is protected. But God protects Jesus in a very different way. No one knows he's there. <laughs> he's born to a couple that you would never suspect. That's how he would come into the world. He goes to a place, if you were looking for a, you know, a, a young prince that, that maybe was a rival, you, know, you would never think to go where the animals are and where they're living and, and look in the feeding trough, and there, there that, that would be the animal. And if you're going and you say, you know what, let's follow the important people, the important guests, they will lead us to the right, to the right place. You would never follow shepherds. Because the shepherds were not important at all. In fact, the job of the shepherds was probably about the lowliest job you could possibly have. It says that they were there at night watching after the flock. Again, they're probably somewhere located between Bethlehem and Jerusalem in that area, in the hill country there, watching after the, uh, the sheep. And, and more than likely, these sheep are sheep that will be used for the sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. This is why they would watch after them at night to make sure that a wolf or a, or a, a bear or something would not come and snatch one away and to make sure when the little lambs were born that they were protected from being injured, something happening to them, and then they would not be able to be used in the temple and the sacrifices. So they would swaddle them. We swaddle now, don't we? <laughs> right, I have a, a little uh, grandchild at home that is being, still being swaddled and one about four blocks away and she's being swaddled. She's wrapped up at night. It's ingenious because they cry, they, they flail, they don't want to go to sleep and all of a sudden, you know, mom or dad comes and they take a blanket or something, they wrap them up and they bind their arms and their legs like a mummy. Yeah, no movement, stop kicking. And they put them down, and in the security of that, they quickly fall asleep. This is what they did with the lambs. They wrapped them in strips of cloth in order to prevent them from injuring themselves or from wandering off and being injured uh, when they would need them later. So two other things. This gift is beyond human control. It would frustrate the, the rulers in their day. But this gift is beyond human control. They don't spot it. They don't know the gift is there. As Matthew records, Herod even hears from the wise men, the child is being born, and Herod doesn't even go to find the child. He just makes plans to eliminate the child instead. And then the sixth thing, this gift is a living treasure. Maybe that's one of the reasons that so many people miss the gift of heaven. Because we tend to think of stuff. We tend to think of things, you know, gold and, and, and jewels and, and diamonds. In fact, I even looked up um, in the encyclopedia what the word treasure means. And here was the very first definition. Think about this. It's pretty funny. It was, it was defined as, first of all, wealth, such as money, jewels, and precious metals. I like this. Stored up 
or hoarded. <laughs> yeah. And you think about it, that's what we do with wealth, don't we? If we find a treasure, we want to get as much as we can. We want to store up as much as we can, put it away, but because we think that treasure will protect us. It will take care of us. It will give meaning to our lives. That's what Jesus was. He was the treasure of heaven, the treasure who came from God in a way that we would never predict. No one could ever control him. And this treasure was alive. It wasn't some inanimate object. This was a living treasure who would come and give his life for us. In fact, this treasure was so special. This treasure would live not only in, in these young days, swaddled perfect and, and, and without flaws. This, this treasure would live perfect and without flaws. So that at 30 years old, when he starts his ministry, he begins to talk and tell people about what God is doing through him. He could, within three years, actually go to the temple and he could be sacrificed. He could give his life on a Roman cross, not on an altar inside the temple, but on a Roman cross, he would be sacrificed. He would give his life in order to buy our freedom, to buy our life. And he's a living treasure. So as they put him to death on the cross, three days later, what does he do? We all know. He walks out of the grave. He's not dead. He is alive, never to die again as he gives his life for the sins of mankind. It's a totally different uh, way that we would uh, understand a treasure coming and what a treasure would do he does for us. Let me go back to verse 8. Here it is again. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks at, of sheep. Suddenly, and this is that pause, you know, all of a sudden God is going to interrupt for these shepherds as the, as the first witness of what has just occurred. He's going to interrupt and he's going to send a messenger, an angel, almost like the star that came for the wise men again. Suddenly, um, an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord, the glory surrounded them and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. For I bring you good news, or as my uh, son-in-law said, good noise, right? <laughs> this is good noise, because uh, they've got three little girls, so not all noise is good, but this is good noise. This is noise that they want to hear. Good news um, with, with, that will bring great joy and catch this to who? All people, not just Israel. This is to all people. He says, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, that's the swaddling part, lying in a manger. Wow, how odd, how strange. But it's an angel that comes and announces this to them and tells them. And then all of a sudden it says, suddenly the angels were joined by a vast host, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and, on, and peace on earth with those with whom God is pleased. In other words, is there an army watching over him and guarding him and protecting him? You betcha. It's just until that army is revealed, no one sees, no one understands exactly who this is. But the army appears, they worship him, they praise him for who he is, and they let the shepherds know that this is God's treasure sent to them. Two other things. 
There's a way to grasp this treasure. And the shepherds are going to show us, once again, how you grasp the treasure of heaven. How do you get your hands on it? Not, not that, that you possess it, but that it possesses you. And, and they're going to tell us about that. And then finally, they're going to tell us when you do, it will change you. You won't be the same person that you were before. Here's what it says in verse 15. When the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried, they go south down uh, to the village and they find Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the feeding trough in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story, they were astonished. They were amazed. It was almost like, whoa, we just saw something we've never, we've never seen before hearing in your story. It says, but Mary, what did Mary do? Mary stored these things up in her heart and she kept them to herself. To, um, herself and she thought about them often. That's what you do with a treasure, isn't it? You keep it close to you. You keep it so close that you can hold on to it. You can go to it when you need it. That's who Jesus was. He was the treasure of heaven that would come invade our hearts, invade our lives so that we could go to him when we're needy, when we need the assurance. Verse 20 says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and for all they'd seen. It was just as the angel told them. Last thing, once you grasp this treasure, or really once this treasure gets in you, once it gets a hold of you, you're just not the same, are you? You don't live life the same way. Why? Because you don't have the same poverty inside, the same sense of no one knows. Oh, yes, God himself knows. Well, he may know, but he doesn't care. Oh, yes, he cares. Okay, he may know, he may care, but what can he do about it? Oh, this is the treasure of heaven that has come that defies all of the logical earthly things that we understand, comes in and does something that no one else could do inside of us, inside of us. One of my favorite things to do, I did it this week, uh, my wife already knows, so it, it doesn't matter, she's already heard, is I'll go to McDonald's in the morning. You go to McDonald's in the morning? Pull up in the drive-thru. Some of the young guys tell me I'm still not doing it right. I use the app and you get free things. Okay, so I'm not really good at it, but I know that I like to go to McDonald's and I like to get a sausage and egg McGriddle. Anyone ever eat one of those? Oh my goodness, listen. You got your protein and your eggs. You got your Texas meat in there, right? Some sausage that came from probably up north, but, you know, but it's still, it's really good. And you have pancakes. I mean, pancake, you know, sandwich or sandwich, as we would say. You know, you just, you made that thing into something like, oh, this is really good. And I always tell them when I pull up with no cheese, because you don't put cheese on pancakes. You don't. You, you put butter, which is cheese that just hasn't been there long enough. It will turn into cheese. Okay, so maybe it's the same thing. But, you know, I don't put cheese on pancakes. So I'm pulling it up in the line. There are two cars in the left line, you know, the, in the drive-thru, and there's no one in the right line. So I'm, this is, you know, Christmas is coming. I'm like, yes, thank you, Lord, watching after me. You know, I can pull up in this line. And the competitiveness of, of me, are, are you like this? I thought, you know, and if I pull up real quick and I order real fast, I may beat those other two cars in the left line. 
you know, and I'll make it through faster, you know, and uh, so I pull up in the left, in the, uh, in the right lane. I'm waiting for someone to come on. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. There's that, that competitive spirit and I can hear them then talking to the first car and taking the order. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to beat the first car. And then the first car goes, they leave and turn the corner and I'm waiting, I'm waiting and nothing is happening. Then all of a sudden they're talking to the second car. Now the competitive spirit turns a little angry, right? You know, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. What about me? Do I start honking the horn? Do I just drive, you know? And, and as the second car finishes their order and starts to leave, then I'm looking in the mirror to see it, make sure another car is not coming. Because otherwise I've got to back out real quick and block them from getting in the lane in front of me. Yeah, and I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh man. And then finally, young man comes on. And just as he comes on, he says, so sorry. And then, and I don't know if the headgear fell or if he fell on the floor, but something dropped. There's all kind of noise. Then he picks it back up and he gets wired up again. He says, I'm so sorry. Can I take your order? And I give him my order. I said, I want a sausage and egg with griddle, no cheese, just a sandwich. I've got it memorized. You know, I know exactly what to say. He says, okay, so you want a sausage McMuffin with no egg? I said, no, 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 no. And I don't know if you've gone through those drive through you know, it'll pop up on there. And then when you change it, a line goes through it. Like they're marked, just change it. You know, you don't have to mark through it on the screen. And so then he gives me another order. Okay, so I, okay, you want a McGriddle with no egg on it. I said, no, 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 not no egg, no cheese. I want the sausage and the egg. And I want, you know, so another line goes through the next one. And all, and all this time I'm thinking, is there another car coming in the other line, right? <laughs> Finally, he gets the order right. I drive up, he is very apologetic. And, and listen, it's Christmas. You know what I said? McDonald's needs to work on their, no, I did not say that. <laughs> I said, it's not a problem. <laughs> I'm in no hurry. Everything's good, you know. It's just a different spirit, isn't it? Because God reminds you that he meets your need. He reminds you to be kind and considerate because God was kind and considerate to us. We didn't earn the gift. We couldn't say we deserve the gift. We didn't get the gift because we beat someone else to the line, right? No, God gave it to us because of his love for us, his compassion to us. And he does it this way so that our hearts would change. There would be a shift inside of us where we would reflect then the love, the compassion that God has shown us to the, the people around us. Why? Because this gift was not just for us. It was for who? All people, yeah, it was for all people. But it gets a chance to shine through us. Not only at Christmas, but all the time. So let's pray together. And this Christmas is, uh, you prepare. Maybe this will be the Christmas that you don't get exactly what you wanted. Or you look around and you say, someone else got more than I got. Maybe this is the Christmas that you just feel like, you know, no one cares. No one knows what I'm going through. And if anybody did care, there's certainly nothing that they could do about my need and my struggles inside. But Christmas is the time to remember, to remember that there is someone who does know. He does care. Oh, and he can do what no one else can do. He can show up in the most unlikely place, not noticed by anyone else, to a place that you might think no one would want to show up here. 
No one would want to meet with me. That's exactly where he wants to come. And where he does come, to all those who will come and see who the Son of God is and what he came to do and allow him to make a change inside of them. He'll give his life for you and he'll give his life to you. So if you've never opened up your heart to Jesus Christ, what a wonderful time to do that, to recognize, to understand that God gave Jesus as the rescuer, the savior. He's a ruler, he's a king who has the resources, the power, the knowledge to totally change how we see our lives and how we see the lives of other people. You say, Lord Jesus, thank you. You came because you understood, you know. You know my need. You know the needs of the people around me. So we thank you for your, your great love and compassion. Would you come and would you invade our hearts, invade our world? Forgive me of my sins. Rework me, re, remake me into a different person, the kind of person that you were, the kind of person that you want me to be as we pray in Jesus' name.